0: Thanks for joining us on West Country Women, the new podcast with Alexis Bowater. Celebrating everybody's business and showcasing women across the West Country region. If you're listening, please follow and rate us five stars. Or if you're watching, make sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Produced and supported by Fresh Air Studios.
1: Thank you very, very much, both of you, for joining me and for coming along to these podcasts it's really, really nice to see both of you. Thanks for bringing your boobs in as well. That's I think No problem. It's very <laughs> important. Can you two remember the night or is it all a bit of a blur? Alex, do you remember the night? I do. Tell me what you remember. I
2: remember just not quite knowing what to expect. I didn't know anybody else in the room other than my husband who came along <laughs> to join me. <laughs> And I didn't know what a spectacular occasion it was going to be. And I wasn't prepared for how much energy there was going to be in the room. It was so uplifting hearing everybody's stories as they came on stage. And
1: yeah, I thought it was wonderful. For lots of people, I think they were quite overwhelmed with adrenaline and champagne and things like that, but still managed to make pretty decent speeches. How did you manage to pull off yours? Oh,
2: I don't know if you had, Sam, but I hadn't prepared anything. I was so delighted to have been nominated, be a semi-finalist and a finalist. I came for the joy of that moment, not knowing there was going to be more. So I wasn't prepared, (laughs) but... You just kind of dig something out, your
3: mind and your emotions. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: You did a good job. Sam, do you remember the night? Yes, I do, yeah.
3: No, I can remember it because I remember, because I brought my mum with me. Yeah. And we came in on the train. So we actually came very early and got changed sneakily in the loose on the way through. (laughs) So we weren't massively sequined on the train on the way in and then we glammed as we came through. Yeah, so it was a really, really just wonderful night we were there really early so we saw some of the setting up and bits and pieces and then we went out into the bar but when you walk into that room for the first time you see all the tables laid out and all the decorations and it just looks so fabulous and just really exciting and I was really glad that my mum came with me for the event it was yeah. brilliant brilliant experience
1: well before we move off the night I mean there were two things that really stood out for me and I'm really glad that both of you can be here for this wash up it's not often after <laughs> award ceremonies that you can have water up like this, but particularly for you, I think, Sam, there were two things, two standouts a, that you brought your mum, <laughs> yeah. and lots of other people brought their mums, but there's a particular significance to that part of the story with you, isn't there?
3: Yeah, so my mum was really the inspiration behind the whole business in the first place because my mum had had breast cancer, she had a mastectomy. It's now, I think seventeen years ago since mm-hmm. she had her treatment and her operations. And it was her who said, I can't wear this type of prosthesis and I need something different. Mm. And it was because of her that I started to research it and look into it. And it took me years to realise that there wasn't anything that really was out there and to really see that as a market opportunity and something that we could explore. But we got there in the end and it was because of what she said and her experience as a breast form wearer and after her breast cancer treatment. So bringing her with me to the ceremony was the right thing to do. Like She really enjoyed her herself she got to wear a sparkly dress and if we hadn't have won it would have just been a really nice evening anyway you know it was just great but it was amazing that feeling of winning the award when they called it out and I did try and get her out to come on stage with me but she wouldn't (laughs) she wouldn't go yeah she's like no I'm not gonna gonna stay here you do it you do it
1: (laughs) and just briefly there was another unexpected moment as well for you with the winners of our green category
3: yes so we had a little whisper where they came over to us to the table and just said just to let you know that I'm also a boost wearer and they said to mum you're not the only person wearing a boost breast form tonight and sort of (sighs) like this a little bit and flashed a little bit and we were like oh that's so cool that you know it feels so amazing to know that real women are wearing the products in different situations obviously I knew mum was wearing one under her dress Uh but to go out and find out that somebody comes over to you and says I'm wearing one too was just amazing and then she said that was a secret
1: conversation it was a
3: secret conversation did you anticipate what was going to happen next no no but she did say (laughs) oh if we win our category I might tell her Everyone, I'm wearing a boost. And I thought, oh, you know. And then when they won and they went up on the stage and she just went, I'm wearing boosts like this and kind of whipped them out of the dress. It was just the best thing. But the best thing for me really was the reaction of everybody else in the room. And it wasn't just about us and having the breastworms out there, it was just the fact that everybody else went, whoa. In the crowd, like, everybody sat around the tables, went completely nuts. And it was just, honestly, the best thing that could have happened. Like, it's something totally unexpected. But, yeah, yeah. yeah, you couldn't have planned that. You couldn't have made it up. It's just so awesome. But that's just a great way to introduce our product to people to as well. Lots, yeah.
1: lots of people in the room. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like you say, you couldn't have written that. It's no, actually, if no. If that was a scene in the movie, people have gone, hmm, that's our yeah. best. I mean, but it really,
3: happened, it really happened, happened in real life. Yeah, yeah. what yeah. were the
1: chances of that? Amazing. Uh, it was amazing. Alex, I wonder if I could just come to you and ask you to tell us a little bit about Waymakers and what you do and why it is that you were the winner of our Entrepreneur of the Year.
2: Waymakers is a small community interest company. We're based in Barnstable in North Devon, and we deliver a range of services, all basically focused on autism, accessibility, and inclusion. So a lot of our work is directed at our individual service users or small groups who are looking for specific person-centered support to overcoming barriers, reaching certain goals, um, managing specific challenges in their lives, whether that is in their day-to-day lives or at work, maybe returning to education. The other side of that is very joined up set of services is delivering training and consultancy to organizations and businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt really strongly when I created this business that I wanted to make sure that the support was very much a double pronged approach so that everybody can kind of meet in the middle, that the work isn't being done solely by individuals on their journeys, but that they'll be received and welcomed by a community who get it, who have increased knowledge and understanding and tools to be able to make things more accessible and inclusive.
1: Alex, what got you involved in this in the first place? There's always a pivotal moment isn't there for somebody especially an entrepreneur?
2: I'd been in education for 20 years and had gradually become more and more specialised going from mainstream into a very niche role where I was running a specialist provision for autistic learners and I left that role quite burnt out actually and I needed some time out, needed a bit of a rest and a recharge and I started working as a volunteer coach for a charity and my first client was a middle-aged man who had started to clock that he was likely autistic. It had never been identified and never been met and he was living a life that was really a shadow of the life that he could have led and really very confined, quite lonely and a number of mental health needs And I realized through my work with him that I was using so many of the skills and tools and strategies that I'd been using with the learners in the provision I was working in. Mm. And I thought, gosh, that's what I need to do. This Mm. is what I want to do. You don't stop being autistic once you leave school. You don't stop having needs that need to be met. And you might actually find that the support that you had whilst you were in school Just disappears once you're out in the big wide world and you're navigating a workplace or trying to get a house or trying to maybe organize a home and a family. So I realized there was a massive piece of work, a huge gap that needed filling at that point and I continued to work with him for a year but I would set up the business during that time thinking I want to be able to meet more people's needs of all ages from 14 and up mm-hmm. but the support needs to be both directed at them and anyone that's going to come into contact with them.
1: It's so interesting having both of you here in the studio for this podcast because we've got entrepreneur and small business mm-hmm. of the year you know they're massive and obvious overlaps but what you're mm-hmm. saying there Alex is that you identified a gap in the market that There was a need... And did you, Sam? I mean, that's basically what happened to you, isn't it? Just talk me through that story because that is astonishing as well.
3: Well, really, when my mum had her treatment for breast cancer, she had a single mastectomy, and she was given a breast prosthesis that I can describe really as like a chicken fillet type of thing. So it's beige, it's floppy, it's kind of flesh-like feeling to it, Mm. and you're supposed to put that in your bra to give you shape and to replicate the breast tissue that you've lost, and. My mum just really didn't find that it was comfortable. It made her sweaty. It was hot and heavy to wear. In the end, she was just like, I cannot wear this. She just rejected it. I'm not going to wear it. She wasn't able to have any reconstructive surgery or any other surgery. So it was just a bit like, well, what do I do now? There are times where I need to have that shape because... Clothing just doesn't sit properly, just sometimes where you just want to feel a little bit less self-conscious, a little bit Mm. more confident, so you might need some shape. But what she was given just didn't work for her. So I spent a bit of time ordering stuff from the internet, having a look in catalogs, trying everything. The things that we ordered just really was similar versions of the same thing. And then one day my mum was like, well, I don't know why it has to look like that. And that was, I think, that comment was the the pivotal moment really where you talk about where you have that sort of eureka moment and all the way to work I was driving to work I worked in Plymouth at the time and I was just thinking she's right like why does it have to look like that Mm. and that's where we started to think about completely overhauling like really delving into like why do women want to wear a breast form product quite often not always but quite often it's just to hold your clothes in the right place or just to give a little bit of shape so it's not like massively noticeable or just to be a bit more confident in your swimming costume but it's not always and for a lot of women it's not a replacement of the breast it's just something to kind of make you feel a bit better and when we've started to delve into that, we realised that there was a need for something radically different and that's what we ended up with. How many did you
1: bring on the night? I
3: bought quite a few, yeah. I I always (laughs) have a handbag full of boobs, like it's my thing. We always have a load everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Pass them around.
1: I'm intrigued though because both of you, you had these eureka moments, all right? But we all do. Mm -hmm. We drive along in the car and we think, oh, that's bad. Let's change that. But for both of you, you followed through with the eureka moment. Mm You persevered, you set up businesses. Alex, what drove you to actually make a change instead of just identifying that there was a gap? That's a really
2: good question. I think it was, I'd actually left education without a plan. I was so exhausted. I really didn't know what I was going to do next. Mm. And when I landed myself in this volunteer job whilst doing a bit of studying on the side, and I thought, goodness, I've got, All this experience and all these skills, and there's this opportunity. When I get an idea, I'm a little bit like a dog with a bone and I Mm -hmm. just immerse myself in that. And I did lots and lots of networking and reaching out to other organizations like Ambitious About Autism, and I joined various talks and webinars to scope out. What kinds of things were happening as more and more people are recognizing their needs and I suppose reaching out for the support that they need and deserve, there's a shortage of the amount of sort of skilled, experienced people out there to offer that. Mm. It's a passion of mine to, I suppose, channel what I love doing and what I'm really interested in, turn that into something that I knew I could Shape into something that did not exist here locally.
1: That is amazing. And for you, Sam, what was it? Basically, you've turned love for your mum into a business.
3: Well, you? kind of. But she did harass me quite a lot to get it up and running. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I need I this. Come other on, come on. That that... Support. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but I mean, in my case, I never felt like I was a natural business person, mm-hmm. and I never had any ambition to do that. And it's really what we do now is very much quite removed from what my training was, what my experience Which was, was what up to was that, that your point. Training? I was a qualified teacher I worked in education okay. for a bit and then I went into arts and heritage. So I was working with museums really and oh, cultural wow, institutions okay. and artists yeah. and doing a lot of work in that space. So doing this was really far removed, but but actually I guess you do bring all those life experiences with you. But mostly I think the drivers were as soon as I started answering questions, it was that realization that we were asking questions, we were getting those answers and and then I realised that if we don't do this, nobody's going to do it. Mm-hmm. Because where are these women going to find this kind of product? We spoke to some of the really big manufacturers. In the beginning, I just assumed somebody would have thought of it. It yeah. so was really obvious to us like what needed to change and what needed to happen with this type of product. And we thought somebody will be on it. Somebody will be doing it. And yeah. we spoke to some really big players. And they were just like, no, this is the cutting edge of what we're doing. It was another beige, fleshy thing. And you're like... Which was hot uh, and heavy. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, we put this inside, or we put this cooling gel in, and then it's like more stuff on stuff on stuff, more gels and more stuff. And it's like not really doing the thing that it should be doing. And who's and, designing these things? Do you want me to say it? it's mostly men? No. Men are in product design. There's only five Alex's perc- face. Alex, I'm sorry. she's like, I'll nod. Yeah. Yes. And there's only five percent of product designers in the UK are women. I think that is the case. So women but in product design. we are talking about breasts? Why were not women not designing we even for women? That's really hard. It's a good question. I mean, we even asked one of the companies that we were talking to, and they were really open with us at the very beginning. They didn't see us as a competitor because we we're just asking questions. And we hadn't got a product. We hadn't mm-hmm. gone through that. We were just doing some research. And we were like, well, can you send us some pictures? And they said, oh, yeah, we've got some slides about product development and how we do R&D in our facility. So we're like, great. Mm-hmm. So they sent us this glossy slide deck of like how they design new products that they send to students and people who ask. And um, there wasn't a single woman in any of the slides until the last slide where she was trying to boobom. No, And she That's was a- the person not- trying to boobom. And we were just like no way like where are women's voices being listened to here so we did some research into what we call like co-design and human-centered design and we embedded that in how we approach this and when you're talking about that motivation yes there's my mum going I need the boob come on come on do the thing but there's also then as soon as you open up that co-design the human-centered design and you're saying to women tell us what you think you need and they're saying the same thing my mum's saying yes and then you've suddenly got another 160 women that you feel accountable to because they're the people who are in your focus groups and then you're like well we can't not do it now because they're asking us when we're going to do it. We're now like 2,000 plus customers in the UK and we get phone calls all the time where women are just like, even if they didn't like it or it didn't work for them, I tried it and we're so happy that there's somebody there listening yes. who is able to make changes or make products or just somebody that we can talk to about what our needs are who actually might be able to do something about it in the future and people have missed that connection. Were you shocked by that? I was, yeah, yes. yeah, I... It's good business sense to me to yeah. involve your customers and to really understand the people that you want to buy the thing that you're making and yeah. just to impose something. Also, for breast cancer, it's a really important thing to re-empower women after breast cancer because any cancer treatment and any medical procedures, they can feel really disempowering yes. because lots of stuff is done to you. There's not a lot of choice. Like You have care pathways, you have chemo, you have radio, you do this, and people are. Telling Telling you, and they're often men, telling Mm. you, this is what your next stage is. You do this, this and this, and this will save your life or this will help you. And you have to do it. And then to come out the other side of that and be trying to find out who you are again, recognising your new body shape, understanding yourself again, and then to find that you have a whole lifetime of looking forward to people going, oh, well, you have that project. That's the one, you know, that's yeah, what. Yeah, and you your actual voice. Is, yeah. yeah, you have to have this because that's what we make yeah. and where your voice isn't heard mm. and there's no way to get your voice out there. Then I think that was interesting, but it was also hard and it made us really passionate about including women as much as we can in Mm. the product design i should say that my design engineer is a man and he's awesome and he's really good at what he does and he does all the technical stuff and he's the guy behind making these things work because we come up with the ideas and the concepts and things and then he really helps us because it does take a lot of engineering behind it but it's also finding that right team to help you pull that together and some places i guess some of the bigger companies just got complacent and didn't do that
1: just very briefly talk me through the design of that because it looks very aerodynamic and very (laughs) light
3: it is very light so our products are completely different to the chicken fillet heavy cut type products Firstly, they have a pattern and that pattern also serves as the structure for Mm -hmm. the product. So it's got cut out patterns in it so that that keeps it light, it keeps it airy. It's made from 100% medical grade silicone, which means because it's just one type of material, it's easier to rechip and recycle. So we're the only ones that we know of that can make a recyclable breast form, which we do. It's based on a mandala design, so it's got a lot of stars and that kind of mandala vibe. And that was because when we were talking to women in our focus, Groups. A lot of women were going back into meditation, into mindfulness, mm. into yoga, and so we use those riffs as like inspiration mm. for what we're doing. We've got a new product coming out very soon. It's called a Boost Bloom, and it will be based on more like a flower, and that's a different shape. So we just take those vibes very from women. Feminine and very pretty, aren't they? It, it is, yeah. Like... And it's something like we had this vision that we would have changed things when you could either buy this kind of breast form as a gift. It was an appropriate gift. For oh, okay. your friends or your family, or you could just leave it on the side in a changing room and nobody really batted an eyelid because some of the fake breasts they can look quite uncanny, especially when they're off. If you had to take it off while you were changing or mm. take it off while you're swimming and left it in the changing room, women feel quite self conscious about them because they're you know big fleshy things that look a bit like disembodied boobs. Mm. Whereas ours is the more desirable, no need for that, is there? There isn't there? No there isn't, I mean, there is so in some situations, some women will want that heaviness like certain dresses certainly but really for exercise it's hard if you need to exercise if you want to go swimming and doing exercise going swimming with a lighter breast form easy to clean easy to wash easy to put in and take out again that will help you hopefully participate more in exercise be generally more healthier and then hopefully get better after your cancer diagnosis or just improve your health to make sure that you're more resilient and it's really important for things like lymphedema and other issues that come up after Mm. breast cancer quite often to continue that mobility yeah but psychologically it's hard it's hard to have the confidence if you haven't got the right things around you that yeah. make you feel awesome and I mean this one here I've got one in my hand that we've just made which has a bit of shimmer in it <laughs> so it's an aqua color we don't make skin color boobs yeah. we make funky colors we think it's not a replacement breast so you can have the color that makes you feel awesome and not a skin color and this one I made for a fashion show recently and so it's all shimmery and pretty and, and really lovely it's so really lovely. it's one of my favorite ones that one <laughs> (laughs)
1: I'm going to come back to you because I want to talk to you about
3: the other research,
1: the medical research that Mm -hmm. you're getting involved in and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Alex, it makes me think that as an entrepreneur, you've got to move fast and break things, don't you? You know, you've got to face the challenges that are impacting on you and your business or in your case, your CIC every single day. And the conversation around all of this is moving fast within society, isn't it? Mm -hmm. What changes and developments are you seeing? And those big changes... And the big challenges that you face, how as a small business and a startup, really, are you managing to deal with those?
2: We can only do what we can do as a small business. Mm. I have to constantly remind myself everything that we're doing to help improve people's lives or help them improve their lives and to support progress is something that wasn't being done before. Mm-hmm. So, if we're not doing it all, that's okay. We're still doing good things. In light of the first bit you asked about the changes and developments, and yes, things have been moving super fast. Mm-hmm. Probably when the pandemic broke, and mm-hmm. that's as I was setting up the business. Mm-hmm suddenly there was a much bigger focus, wasn't there, on everybody's well-being mm-hmm. and mm. a greater awareness of who might we be missing? Are there eyes on our staff who are working from home, on the families that there aren't touch points for, et cetera, people who might not have much of a social circle? So I think that conversation about people's well-being and what different people need suddenly accelerated. Mm -hmm. And that then generated a much greater level of interest and awareness of neurodiversity, Mm -hmm. which had been gaining momentum steadily, but it suddenly kind of exploded, didn't it? Mm -hmm. And whereas maybe Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, if you'd put the word neurodiversity out there, a lot of people wouldn't have known what it meant. It's now... Really, kind of in the mainstream. And in fact, it's almost become a bit of a buzzword. And so there's quite a lot of action that might be really strong investment and commitment within businesses and industry sectors, for instance. But there's a little bit of a danger that some people might be box ticking. But there's always a risk of that. Obviously, we'd like that not to be the case. And then I think because particularly employers, were having to juggle so much in terms of keeping the business afloat, keeping the profits up, looking after their staff, thinking about what hybrid working looked like. I think that's a challenge for a lot of businesses thinking, how do we balance all of this? How can we keep all the plates spinning? Yeah. But with this growing awareness of different wiring and what different people's needs are, that's one of the plates and it impacts on everything else.
1: What comes to mind for me listening to you is that people are talking about neurodiversity and I think for lots of people, families and businesses, it's a very confusing arena and they're not really sure what they can do. What would your three best pieces of advice be to businesses?
2: I think the first thing, very much like Sam was just saying, is listen, ask your staff, every single member of staff in the organisation at every level, what is working for them, what isn't working for them, what they might need that isn't available. And if you've got scope to create employee resource groups or staff neurodiversity forums, create that space for people to talk openly and safely about what they need and what's working and what helps them. The second thing is about looking both at what you can do systemically across the whole organisation, also remembering that there isn't a one-size-fits-all and you need to meet individual needs too. So it's that balance between the systemic adjustments and measures Mm. and the person And then the third thing is probably around high quality learning, because you're going to have some people in your teams who have a huge amount of knowledge and understanding. They may have lived experience. They may have family members they've been supporting over multiple hurdles in life they may have had a past career as an occupational therapist or a social worker but you may have people who are really starting at the very very beginning of that journey and it's important to build that inclusive culture and the right attitudes Mm -hmm. that everybody has access to good quality learning and it's refreshed regularly um, especially if you've got high staff turnover.
0: This is West Country Women. Thank you for joining us so far. If you want to learn about the awards, our community directory, or this new podcast, please head to westcountrywomen.co.uk. We're on all the social media channels too, at the Women Awards. You can find, follow and like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube and LinkedIn. And don't forget to follow and rate us wherever you listen to your podcasts and like and subscribe on YouTube.
1: Alex, I'm thinking about you setting up this business and doing it during a pandemic really and all those (coughs) challenges what's it been like being a solo business startup during the last little while is it very isolating I mean how do you do that
2: oh I've been so lucky I think like Sam said (laughs) I really heard what you said when you said I never saw myself as a business owner (laughs) you know I think when probably the same thing happened for you you kind of see an opportunity you see something that could have a huge impact and you know you would like to drive forward. I knew that I had to create something robust with the right policies and the right business systems, but I didn't think, oh, I'm gonna be an entrepreneur. I was very lucky to know people who were very happy to come alongside me as non-executive directors, and I think that's been a really important part of the journey, to know that I've got a sounding board, I've got some accountability, I've got people who are supporting me, but also asking the right questions. As you know, Alexis, North Devon is quite a small (laughs) community in many ways, and I've got a really, really fantastic, strong, rich network across many sectors, and that's been immensely helpful. And most recently, I've also been part of a leadership hub that the chief executive officer of the North Devon Voluntary Community services charity Mm -hmm. has set up. It wasn't explicitly created for female leaders and CEOs in the charitable and not for profit sector, but that's kind of what it's become. And that's proving to be a really wonderful space for those of us that are sharing quite similar experiences, facing similar challenges, and we're all at different stages of the journey. So there's a lot of support there. But yes, I'm looking to, I think, build a bit more of a, I guess, a leadership team to help me go forward.
1: Yeah. Do you think that winning the category has helped Waymakers at all?
2: I'm sure it has. For one thing, it gives you that sense of, oh, my God, I did this thing. (laughs) (laughs) I like that.
1: Oh, my God, I did this
2: thing. (laughs) And I think probably like all of us there don't know or expect that you'll be the one coming up on stage with that music blaring <laughs> and to collect your award and take it home, I think it gave me a sense of actually, this is real. Mm-hmm. And it's clearly mm-hmm. being recognised by more than just the individual service users who are benefiting from the work that we're delivering. There's been a team of people who are completely detached and external mm-hmm. who have judged This business as worthy of this award. So I think that's one thing it's done for the business in terms on that sort of personal level. And yes, I think it attracts a little bit of attention, doesn't it being an award winner. (laughs) Um, So that's really nice. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, we were delighted that you were our winner of that category it's always so lovely to see you Alex. can i come back to you sam and just talk to you about what's happening now for boost and where are you going because it seems to me it's <laughs> global domination it's a,
3: yeah it's You're a bit it. of an ambitious plan isn't yeah. it on a smaller level we've been developing new products we've been working with funding from innovate uk the government's innovation strategy to build our intellectual property and also have the time and space to do that important research and development to involve women in the way the direction of the company is going so things that we want to make for them different types of breast forms different types of service even we've been working on potentially what might come out as an app in the end it might not but it's in that process of development so we've been doing that we are growing we're a team of four now Mm -hmm. we are looking at new premises because we've got an eye on hopefully supplying the NHS in the future and we've been talking to people in the NHS. It's really hard to be an SME and to have the principles and the foundations that we've built and then try and comply. It feels like you're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole Mm. when you're dealing with something as enormous as the NHS and its systems and procedures but we've been really lucky that we've had some support from senior people who've been helping. Helping us navigate that process and we've got a trajectory and a plan really to get us there and over the next two years Everything we're doing, that the scaling up, the extra product development, service development, all of that is really leading towards that, getting our products, our services and our ethos to more women, but through mainstream NHS provision. And that's the really big ambition for us in the UK, particularly. But in the meantime, we've also been talking to people in other countries around the world. We've now got independent bra shops in loads of different places. I think my weirdest one is the Faroe Islands, which really? is a that's Danish bad. territory yeah. in the middle of nowhere. We got a shop in Canada. We got one in Switzerland. Like These people come and they find us and then they can bulk buy some of our products and distribute them to women in their own country. So all of those things are kind of helping us to go along that pathway to Mm. development. Yeah so it's exciting.
1: Your invention as it were is so much one of those where people think why was this never done before?
3: I know yeah people say oh it's so simple and it's yeah. so straightforward and why hasn't it been done it really can't answer other than what we already talked about that actually mostly I think it's to do with design assumptions there are design assumptions in lots of different things yeah. and when you unpick those you just think culturally they've come through different channels and they've just built up over time or this is the way it's done and this is the way we do that and I guess not having a product design background not being an engineer not coming from that place of education and the arts mm-hmm. means that I was in a good position to say well why you know yeah, like and yeah, unpick yeah. that yeah, yeah, without yeah. it being really problematic for people I was able to ask those questions because yeah. I was kind of outside it and then other people were starting to go oh yeah you actually you've got a yeah, point there point. Yeah. yeah why is it like this where are these assumptions coming from so yeah it's a really interesting thing with our products and how are they yeah. developing but. but curious as well that you say that
1: products for women have been by designed men. by men.
3: Mostly, yeah, designed by men. You're not gonna work, is it? Uh, yeah, it's difficult. I am working with Sarah Newbury, one of the other yeah. winners, is hosting a women in STEM event. And again, I always feel a bit odd about those types of events where we're talking to young women and girls about careers that they might not really know very much about or about business opportunities they might not know very much about because I do feel a little bit like well who am I to do that because I'm not a qualified engineer I can't do maths to save my life like but What we have done is implemented these design procedures and embedded those within the process of Mm -hmm. our business so that we can listen to women's voices. And actually, that does make us a kind of STEM business. We are doing engineering, manufacturing, technology, innovation. Or innovation, all of those things we are doing. And I am leading that legitimately. Yes, I have some really specialist people around me, like Chris, our design engineer that I mentioned earlier, who's fabulous at turning things into real things. But It is a women-driven thing. That's what it is at its heart. So I think that we just need to do more to encourage women and girls, and not just girls at school, but women in general, Mm. that you can have a career change. You could do this thing that you're passionate about. You can explore this thing, and it doesn't matter that you might consider it to be a male-dominated subject. It doesn't matter. That's the kind of need that needs to be addressed because we're not going to get the products and services we need if we're not building them ourselves or driving the building of it ourselves.
1: But it's that thing, isn't it? It's giving people the courage of their instinct. Mm. So with both of you, Sam and Alex, you both saw a gap in the market Mm -hmm. and actually you went for it. But for lots of people, they don't believe that that gap in the market is legitimate and for them to fill and to change that philosophy of thinking instead of, you know, if not now, then when, but if not me, then then who? who...
3: Yeah. That's exactly what came through my mind when Mm -hmm. we started this journey, when we realised that just nobody was doing that. Mm -hmm. Who is going to do it? If nobody's going to do it, then it has to be us. Because we've talked to these women now and they have my phone number and they're going to keep ringing and saying, (laughs) have you done this thing yet? You know, it was that kind of driver. But I think that there are... Plenty of opportunities for other women to step up. I do a lot of work in encouraging women to do funding applications. Mm. Funding for things like innovation funding is really underrepresented for women applicants. They just don't seem to apply for is that it. So true. Yeah. That's awful. That's why Innovate UK have a specific women in innovation programme. Why is that? Is Um, that the
1: self-deprecation
3: thing? I think, uh, yeah, yeah, women just don't feel like it's for them, whereas men tend to be more Mm risk-taking and and just kind of go for things. And I spend a lot of time with female entrepreneurs saying to them, like, just go for things sometimes. Like, what's the worst that can happen? They might say, no, but who cares? You know, you've tried and you've gone forward. And I think that even things like fundraising, you probably might have heard me say before, that I found at an Innovate UK meeting, there was people who pulled out a statistic that said that investment monies and decisions around investment are more likely to be made by a man called David than any woman. And if you think, yeah, because even when it comes to financial management and management of investment decisions, there's a big inequality there. And even women with personal wealth, the financial advice that they can get as potential angel investors... It varies from men with personal wealth. So men with personal wealth are often advised to invest in companies, in tech. Women with personal wealth don't get advised sometimes in the same way they often are pushed towards philanthropy or other types of giving rather than investing in other women or other women-centred businesses. So there is a lot of systematic change. But the more we talk about these issues and we raise awareness of them and we show people that you can navigate through, you don't have to be and find by those things, if you can push the walls hard enough, they will move eventually. But you might take a lot of effort to push that wall, but it will move eventually. And that's what I have to keep in the back of my head. And that's why talking on things like this is super important. important.
1: (laughs) Alex, have you found it difficult to find funding for your CIC?
3: No, I think
2: we've been super lucky. I think at the beginning, there was quite a lot of COVID relief money that was around not massive pots. being a really small brand new cic we'd get little pots really for little projects maybe subsidizing strategy coaching or we ran a group for adults in the woods i partnered with a sort of forest school and i think i then developed a kind of feel for what they're looking for how to meet the eligibility criteria how to evidence the impact we'd already had data or with quotes from people from feedback But I now am at that point where I'm so busy and I desperately need to be sitting down and firing off a few more grant applications. And I just haven't had the time to kind of filter out what to apply for. But I think that part of it is also taking a chance. As Sam said, the going for it when you've had that idea and thinking, can I make this work? It's taking the risk with the, well, let's have a look. Let's see. All I can do is test it. And then if I test it and it works, then there's potential, yeah. Yeah. Can
3: I just interject, though, when Alex says that she's been lucky, I kind of think that that downplays things a little bit. And I think that we need to take more ownership. Alex has done really well with her funding because her idea is awesome and it's needed and people wanted it and it needed to be funded. And you've presented it in the right way to your funders. So while you've been lucky with there are some circumstances, there's a lot of it that's on you and the wonderful work that you do that really should be recognised. And I think we're... Do you think I,
1: we have a tendency as women yeah, to do that? to say... I've like, been lucky. Yeah. As opposed to well,
3: You work uh, hard. Thanks
2: for the vote of confidence. I think there's another aspect to it that I think creates a bit more inequality that I've been really aware of. Mm. I think that I am an educated woman who can string mm-hmm. some words together coherently and effectively. Mm-hmm. I can pitch things in a way that reaches... The right is in the right way, and I've been able to draft funding applications. And I'm really aware that there might be dozens of other women and men and non-binary people out there with equally fantastic ideas who may not be as well resourced to actually do the yeah. funding application. So we're kind of living in a state where, yes, I'll take some ownership. Thank you for the, <laughs> the funding applications, but maybe I've been advantaged. As well. Mm. Yes, mm.
3: yeah. I do recognise that. And actually with funding, one of the things that I do sometimes when I work and I do mentor people into their funding journeys, and actually quite often they might be artists that are dyslexic. They might be people mm. who feel like they've got barriers to accessing the forms. And actually some funders are really good at providing extra support, but an applicant might not know that they can get the extra support that yeah. they need. And all of those things are real hurdles and they can mean that really good ideas just don't happen. And I think particularly for female founders, we need to get into that mindset that if you have a really strong idea and you're really passionate about it, you've got that evidence base, you know that this really needs to happen in the world, that we can network with women like that. We can continue to build them up so that we can all support them through that journey as a community. And I think the West Country Women Awards and the networking and the associated bits and pieces, that go along with that we have the potential to do that through this Mm
1: -hmm. very happy to help you with whatever you want so as female founders and award winners (laughs) I'm going to have to ask you this really important question Alex what would you say to the 12 year old Alex so what would the woman say to the girl
2: you have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've astonished myself, but unplanned in that sense that, you know, I didn't have a vision when I was 12. Mm. So yeah, I love that idea that we can travel a journey and still there's time and opportunity to reinvent yourself and create Mm. something brand new and find real success with it. What would I say to my 12 year old self? I think that you have no idea, give it a go. <laughs> give it a go.
1: That's give a good a go. one. <laughs> Sam, what would you say to 12 year old Sam?
3: I think it's kind of like an it'll be okay kind of message as well. It's about the similar thing. I had a lot of problems with my health when I was young, not really. 12, but as I got towards doing my A-levels had a load of problems with my health I was diagnosed with a really rare autoimmune disease which I still have and I used to go to meetings with social workers and doctors and clinicians and people and benefits people and I was always told you're too ill to work you'll never work, you're too ill to work and I was put on incapacity benefit wow. which was what it was called at the time and incapacity, you're just incapacitate mm-hmm. you're not going to do anything you're just going to have to be on these benefits for life And at every meeting that I went to like that and I was doing my A-levels, I was studying hard and I was thinking I'm going to be the first person in my family to go to uni, you know, Mm. at that point. And then they were like, no, you're not going to be able to go to uni, you're not going to be well enough and you're not going to be able to do this and you're not going to be able to do that. And at every meeting, the best thing really was my mum because she would stand there and she'd go. like she would just say no like this sort of uh, or we'd walk out of the room and she'd go you know that that's not true don't you you know that don't listen to them and you think well yeah why will I listen to them and quite often the people of authority you know the experts are telling you all this stuff it takes a lot of courage just to like not listen Mm. or not to take it to heart and I really worked hard not to take it to heart so I think that kind of like it'll be all right in the end kind of stuff works really well and then obviously my health improved I worked really hard to get my health better it did improve I've still got the condition but I manage it really Mm. well it sort of went into remission for a bit and I was getting my Life together, and I ended up doing a PGC. I had been to uni. I did my PGC, and that was when my mum was diagnosed with breast cancer. Yeah. So we're just coming out of all this stuff with me and my yeah. health, and then my mum has a breast cancer diagnosis. And I think like just having that, we'll support each other, and it'll be all right in the end. Ethos. I think I always did have that running through my mind, but it's not always easy to believe that Mm. so if I was talking back to my childhood self I'd probably say just keep believing that like just carry on because it will be fine and opportunities happen and you have to seize on them and you have to go almost you go a bit where life takes you but then you also have agency and decision making and life might take you somewhere but then you can make that something what you need it to be that's brilliant Um, (laughs)
1: I love that. So it's the optimism. And both of you have come at this from the same angle, which is interesting. Can you tell me, Alex, what would be the book that you would pay forward to everybody?
2: I recently read Fern Brady's autobiography called Strong Female Character. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. You might know Fern Brady. She's a stand-up comedian. She was on Taskmaster. She's a known face. I actually hadn't come across her before, but had heard about this book, and I found it such an inspirational, fascinating, and educating read. She is a late diagnosed autistic. She charts her experiences throughout her childhood, her teenage years, her young adulthood, and she portrays the self that she was living in at that time, But then she can also throw over the top of that, this lens of understanding through her late diagnosis and interpreting what was really going on for her and why. And with a nod to other people's attitudes and ways of managing situations. And she manages to balance with humor and humility and real depth, a story That is everything all at once, whether you're an autistic woman, a non-autistic woman, a parent, a sibling, a spouse, whether you know a lot or whether you know nothing, I think you'd get something from it.
1: It's a really great book. Thank you. I'm going to go and get that one now this afternoon. <laughs> Sounds good. Too. Yeah. How about you, Sam? What are the book? Oh,
3: that you Oh, well, for me, <laughs> when I'm reading, what I tend to do is I read for pleasure a mm. lot. So I don't tend to read the businessy books. So I read for escapism. Oh, yeah. So my book choices would be very different. They usually involve some sort of grisly murder, which <laughs> needs to be solved, <laughs> which is really great. But I would recommend Leanne Moriarty if you wanted a bit of escapism and switch the brain off a little bit. She's the one who wrote Big lies and things, Nicole Kidman tends to be, and they're usually set in Australia and they get made into... Netflix programmes but I would recommend read the books first but aside from books podcasts is quite a good bacon, way of getting yeah. yeah. so yeah. classic things like the Diary of the CEO podcast are always quite interesting to hear people's yeah. perspectives and the kind of guests that go on there so I'm usually sort of multitasking as most of us are yeah. so I'm usually like walking the dog and have my earphones on and be listening to something so I think for business advice and support definitely possible podcast of the way forward Yeah, so maybe people will be out walking the dog listening to this one one day no? maybe they will. they will be
1: Yep. and because this is the last podcast of our present recording I will chip in mine not a particular book but just two female authors who I think are absolutely outstanding and I have the pleasure of knowing both one of them is Amanda Craig and the other one's Holly Watt and if you can get hold of anything that either of them have written enjoy and you're welcome <laughs> they're both amazing can you see this Yes. Aha, surprise. So oh what dear. this is, is a whole load of questions. So what I can do, I can either hover my hand over here. Right? I
3: can pick one. <laughs> no, uh-huh. you're going to pick your own. Oh. And you just have to say stop. Stop. If you were granted three wishes, what would you wish for?
2: One thing I would really love would be to be able to speak and understand every single language.
1: Oh, that's a good one. That
2: would be oh, that like would that. be my first wish granted. I um, hate feeling like I am not I following. That, I, I like that, that a lot. So that would be the first one. The second one, I think, would be. Something to do sometimes with slowing down time. Mm. <laughs> I like that as well, Alex. I'm loving your answers here. I just sometimes feel like Friday mm. comes around really fast. Summers come around really fast. Yeah. And I think this, the pace that we're all living and working has turned into this roller coaster. Mm-hmm. And I would really like to slow it all down. The third one I think would be something humanitarian about safety and equity for everybody across the planet. I just would like everybody to feel safe and as if they have access to what they need and want in life.
1: I like and those nice. three. Yeah. I'm going to nick good. those three and have them as mine. <laughs> so, my yeah. mantra. So, you're going to have to pick that, pass it back to me. Describe an experience in life that changed your values
3: i think really that possibly becoming a parent myself Uh,
1: oh yeah i get it
3: really changed my values because i think before then i was still sort of coming out of my health issues mum obviously being treated for cancer and everything else and you're just dealing with stuff And you just get on with it and like there's another pile of stuff to deal with and another load of stress to deal with and it's health-related and it's hospitals and it's blah, 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 blah. And then I think that actually becoming a parent and having a baby I can remember like things when he was about like eight months old and he's quite, kind of just podgy and fat and just sitting there they just sit there and randomly putting things on his head because he's worked <laughs> hard to put things on his head stuff like that I think really changed me because instead of just coping and doing things and dealing with stuff I was actually like enjoying something different and having that opportunities to reevaluate what was important refocus on family I think was at that point I think was quite important to me Mm. that changed my values and my outlook and actually that's still reflected like now my son's 13 I still feel like having him around is a bit of a way to sense check what you're doing sometimes isn't it without
1: a doubt I actually think having teenagers in your life is an enormous blessing yes it's one of the greatest and the most amazing learning lessons that you're ever going to be given as an adult yes I actually feel really lucky yeah. Really lovely yeah. to have teenagers around. Yeah, me too. I think they get a bad rap. <laughs> yeah.
3: I really do. Yeah.
1: I think they're lovely.
3: And also, mine's really good with a spreadsheet. So that's, you know. <laughs> yeah,
1: mine's really good with
3: cooking. Ah, yeah, they all,
1: all have all their helps. talents. Yeah. It all helps. Definitely helps. <laughs> do you want to do one for me? So, Alex, you're
3: going to have to say stop. And so, I'll pick one. Stop. Um, If you could only listen to one album for the rest of your life, what would you choose? Now, this is where we really get to know you better.
1: I know this sounds really, really weird Mm -hmm. and it reveals how old I am as well, but Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. ah Classic choice. Look at you two. You're agreeing with me. I don't even know where that came from. I haven't listened to it for so long. But both of you, your eyes are sparkling.
2: Maybe we're from a certain era. (laughs)
1: Listen to it on the way home now. Thank you both so much. It's been really lovely chatting with you today. I've had a really lovely time. I'm thrilled to bits that you are champions of West Country Women Awards. You are true winners. And we loved having you part of it last year. We've launched nominations this year. We try to encourage people to get involved. Both of you, if somebody was to say to you, would you like to get involved with the West Country Women Awards? Is it a good idea? Do it.
0: If you want to find out more about the West Country Women Awards or nominate someone for next year's ceremony, visit westcountrywomenawards.co.uk. The West Country Women podcast was presented by Alexis Bowater. Copyright West Country Women Awards CIC. Produced and supported by Fresh Air Studios.